1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bob Berg. Uh, he's a well-known speaker. He's also written several books, one called The Go-Giver, uh, Go-Givers Sell More, It's Not About You, and Endless Referrals. And Today we're going to be speaking about his new book, which is called Adversaries Into Allies, win people over without manipulation or coercion. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you, Jordan. Always great to be with you. So I gave a little bit about your background on the books you've done, but give us a little bit more on kind of what your career has been out uh, about leading up to the publishing, publication of this book.
3: Began as a uh, radio broadcaster and a television uh, newscaster and news anchor, and then graduated into sales and sales management and uh, started sharing with people what was working for me, and uh, which I really had to learn because when I got into sales, I knew nothing about it and uh, but from from reading, learning, studying, attending seminars, and so forth, I learned it and uh, was able to develop systems myself and share it with others and i 've been speaking now for gosh probably twenty five years or so
2: so the pr- purpose of this book is to give people influence uh, without uh, manipulating other people. Why is that so important? What is the value if somebody has influence? How can that make them do better in life?
3: Well, I think people are beginning to understand that you can have practically every positive success skill working for you. Uh, You can be very talented and of extremely high character. You can be ambitious, kind, charitable, hardworking, thrifty, energetic. Have a knack for numbers and a head for business. You can be even tempered and creative and much more. And all that, all that by the way is great, Jordan. It's terrific. However, unless you can influence others, move people to the desired and appropriate action, really your chances for significant success are somewhat limited. Now on the other hand, when you combine benevolent intent and a learned skill set, really you can find yourself constantly Consistently and even predictably attaining both personal and business satisfaction while, uh, adding exceptional value to the lives of others. And I really, I call this ultimate influence, which I define as simply the ability to get the results you want with others while helping them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. So really it's, it's, it's a matter of, of mastering People skills, which is so often the difference maker, and um, is, is really kind of the, de- the defining factor with a lot of people who might otherwise be hugely successful, and the ones who are.
2: How do most people approach Influence? Are they doing it as I'm winning and they're losing? It's kind of an adversarial situation before well, they read your book.
3: I, I think that's the intuitive way that many people do. Uh, we, we've sort of been trained in our world that for me to win, you've got to lose. You know, it's a su- zero sum game. If I want a bigger piece of pie, then I've got to take your piece or to at least some of your piece. And uh, really, uh, the more you learn about it and the more you you, you experience life, uh, the more you see that's not the case at all. That when when you can find a way for both people to win it's not a limited pie it's an expanded pie in a sense it's getting together and baking a bigger pie so that everyone has a, a bigger piece of it and really the the big difference with that is understanding that influence is really about nothing more than aligning what you want with what the other person wants and so long as you focus on bringing value to them, you usually can pretty much get what you want without having to compromise because the other person is going to come away from it better off as well.
2: So what if you have a situation where uh, it, it seems <laughs> what what they get is what, you know, it, it, there's a certain thing that both of you want, and you both can't have it, and uh, if, if you're going to get it, it means they're being disappointed. If they get it, it means you can't get it. Or is there always some way to get around that? Uh, well, seeming is, zero-sum situation
3: it depends on the context but a lot of times when it seems like it's it's like that it really isn't two people just want different things um now it, you know if it's a matter of uh, there's a, a price negotiation and, and a lot of times price negotiations price is only the 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 um the surface part usually there's more to it that and it isn't just price but uh, let's say you know you're buying a uh, a car and the uh you know, salesperson's offering it at a certain price and, and you want it at a lower price and really there is just a certain amount of, of money that stands in the way. Now to compromise may not, you know, be what you want because you don't want to go any higher than what you are. You might have to say to that person, you know, as much as I enjoy the, the idea of doing business with you and I appreciate all your help, at that price, I, I just can't justify going ahead and, and taking ownership now. And so, you know, that person, if they want your business, then they're going to come down in price. If they don't want your business that bad, they'll hold to where they are. And, you know, that'll be what it is. So uh, life is life. And you're not always going to get exactly what you want. And neither is that other person. But what can happen is you can still make this other person feel good about themselves. And so they might have to. Come down a little bit in price to meet your needs in order for you to buy right now. They may not make quite as much commission, although you certainly want them to to make a, a healthy commission. But while they may not, they still feel good about having done business with you. And it's also up to them to be able to give you great enough service and so forth and a great enough buying experience that you want to tell others about them.
2: It's really about win-win is what you're saying here. Yeah,
3: it, it, it really is. And I, I can't think of many instances where you can't make a win-win out of it. I mean, obviously in a baseball game, one team wins, one team loses. But, uh, you know, that, that that's one of those rare times when, when your win isn't about the other person's win as well.
2: Now, you have what you call the five principles of ultimate influence. And let's go through those one at a time. The first one is to control your emotions. So how does controlling your emotions give you influence?
3: Well, that's really where it all begins because it's only when you're in control of your yourself and in control of your emotions that you can possibly take a, a negative situation, perhaps a, a negative person, and be able to uh, turn that around so that it's a win for all involved. As human beings, we're emotional creatures, emotional beings. We'd like to think we're logical, and to a certain point we are, but, but much of what we've done, much of what we do is driven by our emotion. And by the way, emotion's a great thing, there's nothing wrong with it, so long as you are in control of your emotions, rather than your emotions being in control of you. As my great friend Dondi Scumachi likes to say, hey, emotions are wonderful, by all means take them along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. And I think that's great advice. So give Uh, some
2: examples of of controlling emotions. Say you're being attacked verbally. Uh, How would you control so that you don't kind of attack back and get into a whole shouting match? uh,
3: Well, uh, I I think you you sort of answer the question right there. You wouldn't just attack back and get into a shouting match. Instead, you would pause for a moment. You'd make sure you're responding rather than reacting. You think about it for a moment, and then you uh, say what you need to say to that person. It might be something like, you know, I'm wondering, I... Might owe you an apology. Did I say or do something to offend you? Now, if you didn't, that person's probably going to understand where they were really out of line and they're going to say, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm just in a, you know, just having a bad day, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, you might say something like, well, I can certainly understand that. I've had those before. What can I do to help? Now, what you've done is you've totally uh, taken a, a negative situation because you responded rather than reacted, you were operating out of a position of, of strength. Now, the way we learn to do this isn't by just doing it at the time we're verbally attacked or by the, or at the time someone pushes our buttons. What we do is we understand that this is an important issue. We understand it's something we need to work on ourselves, so we rehearse well in advance of the thing happening. We retrain our brains to to default into calm as opposed to into reactionary anger. So just like an astronaut... Who might before going off on a, mi- a mission into space, they might simulate that mission hundreds of times. What you want to do is imagine a situation that you know you've been through before, where someone said the wrong thing or pushed your buttons, or a situation or a person, or you were verbally attacked, as you as you said earlier. Only instead of handling it in the reactive way that you might be used to doing, see yourself. Responding with calm, responding with serene, responding by pausing and saying the exact right thing and handling it beautifully. And what will happen is you will start to do that and you'll develop that habit and you're going to be not only much more effective, you're going to be a, just a tremendously powerful influencer.
2: You also say it's important as far as controlling your emotions to overcome anger. What are some ways people can do that?
3: Well, that is first understanding why it's important to do so and that is an angry person is typically not very influential. Now, someone may be intimidated into complying with a with demand, but that, that doesn't hold water particularly well, uh, and it actually takes away much more power than, than what it gives you. So it's first understanding why a person who responds in anger consistently simply cannot be effective. They cannot be influential. So it's first understanding why it's important, and then once you do, then it's a matter of retraining yourself through, uh, you know, taking the steps to rehearse the situation and practice uh, uh, handling it more effectively.
2: And you have seven specific steps to overcome anger. What are those steps?
3: Well, uh, you know, again, it's, it's understanding why it's important. It's having a plan for doing it. It's rehearsing it's uh you know it, it's taking pleasure when you um, when you do it correctly it's forgiving yourself when you uh it's forgiving yourself when you mess up because we all mess up from time to time and uh understanding you'll have plenty of chances to to get better at it and uh and to keep practicing
2: and you say at the end to build on small successes we're, sure. We're
3: getting and that's going the right habit. And that's so important because you know we've got to build on those small successes. To to go from point A to point Z is very very difficult. And if you set that kind of goal to do it in one jump, well, you're going to mess up and you're going to be disappointed and that's when you're going to quit. Instead, if you're building your small successes, you go from A to B, B to C, C to D, you start getting stronger every time and you start getting more confidence in yourself. And again, Please understand, and I make sure my readers know this, too, that you might mess up from time to time. I still do, and I've gotten a lot better at this, believe me, because I had to really overcome my reactive anger. That was a big issue with me. Um, You know, And there's people who will tell you to this day, wow, Bob, I've never seen you lose your head, or I've never seen you say a negative word about anyone, or never well, you know what? It might look that way, but if they only knew what it used to be and how hard I had to work to get past that. But that's what I'm providing in the book. I'm providing the tools to be able to do that so a, a reader can go through it and actually be able to immediately apply the information.
2: You have what you call the persuasive power of positive detachment. how is one supposed to be detached when you're in a conflictual situation
3: well, it's understanding that being you know what is detachment uh, really detachment is the understanding um, it, 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 it's the lack of of um, it's 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 preferring something rather than and I hate to use the word attach when I'm trying to define attach because attach sort of defines itself you're not emotionally tied up to the result. In other words, if you get the result you want, that's great. And if you don't get the result you want, eh, you know, that it is what it is. Now, that doesn't mean there's nothing magical about that. It's not as though, oh, I'll just go along and whatever happens, happens. It's supposed to no. no, you try your best. You try your hardest to influence the situation and have the results happen as you want. But what you realize is if you're not emotionally attached to it, if your sense of happiness and peace of mind is not tied up, to having to get those results, the chances are better that you're going to get the results you want. Why? Because you come at it from an attitude of gratitude rather than from desperation. And people will generally respond to the the messages you put out. And when they see that you're not attached to it and you're not emotionally uptight about it, uh, then they're going to actually be much more responsive to you.
2: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bob Berg. Uh, He's written many books. His latest book is called Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. He does have a a website as well to find out more about him and his book, which is Bergb-U-R-G.com. We'll be back after this.
4: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
5: If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
4: Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now.
5: Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on Own Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central every Sunday.
4: We're always talking business.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bob Berg, uh, the author of a new book called Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. Uh, he also has a website, berg.com, B-U-R-G.com. Um, what, tell people, Bob, a little bit about what they can find out about at that website.
3: Well, if they'd like, they can, first of all, at the website, they can click on the graphic of the new book, uh, Adversaries into Allies, and it will take them to a page where they can get uh, Chapter 1 to see if they like it first uh they can check out my blog i blog usually a couple of times a week uh on there and uh if they'd like they can subscribe to my influence and success insights and we have a GoGivers international online community that they can join if they'd like so they can just click to where it says the go giver way so lots of fun at berg.com so come on out and hang around very
2: good. All right, now we talked about the five different principles. The second principle is to understand the clash of belief systems and how to avoid uh, what you call deadly misunderstandings. Uh, how could people use that to gain influence? Well, what is a belief?
3: Really, it's it's simply a a, um, a subjective truth. It's the truth as you understand to be understand it to be, which doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth. It just means uh, it's your personal truth. And our belief systems are really a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, and and movies and popular culture, cultural mores, everything we touch, taste, hear, see, smell. Uh, and the interesting thing about belief systems is that they're there implanted into us while we're very, very young, and they tend to be pretty set by the time we're a little more than toddlers, so we grow up uh, having these beliefs, and seeing the world in a certain way, really, a belief system is simply the lens through which we see the world. So, we're, we're subject to a belief system that really, an operating system that we had nothing to do with creating and don't even know that we we have, and, and that's one reason why as human beings, we tend to make major decisions based on very limited information, because we see everything through our own lens. Now, the tough thing is that you add on to this that, that the other person with whom we're about to have a, an uncomfortable situation or difficult interpersonal transaction, they also come from their own belief system that they're not even aware of. So you've got two people two different belief systems and neither one even knows that they're operating unconsciously out of this belief system put on top of that that as human beings we tend to believe that everyone else sees the world as we do uh you've probably heard people say oh everybody thinks that or nobody likes that or i would never say or i would never do that to anyone well no because you're operating out of your belief system and they're operating out of theirs so this is where a clash can really occur, people acting unconsciously without even knowing why. So to to really be able to work within this, it's not that we have to understand that other person's belief system, but what we do have to do is understand that they are most likely coming from a very different belief system than we are. And only when we understand that and realize that and embrace that are we in a a, a context where we can be part of the solution and make it an overall uh, win for everyone.
2: So say you do that. Say you've understood the belief system there, even though you may not agree with it. Then how do you take that and go towards the next step where you can have an agreement and move forward?
3: Well, you take something very simple, and, and you mentioned about uh, misunderstandings. Well, a lot of times we misunderstand things because we, we, we're talking about something and we're defining it based on our own belief and the other person's hearing it based on their beliefs. And neither one knows that the other one doesn't see it the same way they do. Take something very simple. Uh, the, the team leader says, uh, I just heard from the client, things have changed, we need to complete the project immediately. Well, what does it immediately mean? Three different people might interpret. One person says, sees immediately as as right away, meaning that uh, they can't go to their kid's ball game tonight that they promised the kid they were going to do, and so that really messes up their whole night. Another person sees immediately as sometime this week, and another person sees immediately as immediately after they finish the other uh, project. So the way to to ask a question of the team leader, uh, you, know, you know, literally would just be, uh, you know, Dave. Or, uh, Karen, when you say immediately, is there a a particular date, or is there a specific day or, or time you're thinking of? Now, what we would do is we would probably ask this a little nicer <laughs> and a little more tactfully because we don't want to come across in a way that we're uh, that could be misinterpreted. So rather than just saying, well, what do you mean by immediately? Or, well, is there a certain day or time? We might say, you know, Dave, just for my own clarification, or just to make sure I'm understanding this uh, correctly, when you say immediately, is there a specific date and time you're thinking of? And that way, it clarifies. The other person knows what you're thinking, and you know what they're thinking, and you avoid misunderstandings.
2: And this is true not only in business, but you have a section in your book about what you call the five love languages. It also affects uh, personal relationships as well, where there's kind of a two different belief system, two different languages. How can people get over that? In their well, personal relationships.
3: This, yeah, this was, I, I, and I cited in the book that it was from the great book, uh, Five Love Languages, by Dr. Gary Chapman, who talks about people receiving love in different ways. You know, some do it by physical uh, touch, some by acts of service, some uh, by gifts, some by, you know, by different ways. And, and what, I'm say, what I was saying in the book, and this is because my stray cat liberty bought me, brought me in a, the, 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 the severed head of a dead mouse as a gift. And it was the she was the first cat I'd ever had. I'm an animal lover, but I've always had dogs, and so uh, I had heard that cats sometimes bring in gifts to their humans to, as a, as a sign of affection. And so I I put a thing on Facebook asking, "I wonder what she was trying to tell me with the dead mouse's head." And I said, "Because it obviously holds no value for me and, and people responded with really funny things. One of them was, "Hey, it has value to her, and because of that uh it can have value to you well the the point is, and this is what Dr. Chapman talked about with five the five love languages is we tend again this goes back to belief systems, right? We assume that if our love language is is uh Uh, quality time then the other person's love language must be quality time but maybe that's not what their love language is their love language is acts of service so while we're giving all this quality time to them we're wondering why they don't seem to appreciate this Uh, don't they love us after all we're expressing our love the only way it can really be expressed through quality, you know, quality time, and they who are who are doing acts of service for us, they're wondering why we have no appreciation for the right. And so, what happens is both people are trapped in a belief system again that they're not conscious of, but also don't realize that the other person simply comes from another way of seeing the world.
2: So moving on to the third uh, quality you have is is uh, third principle you have, which is to acknowledge uh, the other person's ego. So how does that help you gain influence when you acknowledge their ego?
3: Well, it's understanding that if they are acting in a way that's not benevolent, if they're acting in a way that seems counterproductive, that seems as though their emotions are getting away from them, there's a good chance that they're really not acting out of logic and out of out of consciousness but they're acting in a way that is that really is probably ego based and you know we need to to honor that and when i say acknowledge that i don't mean we say to this person hey buddy your ego is getting out of control obviously that would have the opposite effect when i say acknowledge it i mean acknowledge to ourselves that this person probably is being run by their ego so we've got to honor that it doesn't matter whether it should be that way or not what matters is that it is and so we need to make sure to speak to them and act toward them in a way that honors them and, and, and doesn't cause them to make a wrong decision based on their ego.
2: And one of the things you say not to upset their ego is to don't shame or embarrass them. Is this something that a lot of people try to do to kind of manipulate people into getting their way? Well,
3: it would... Was- there's you, well, yeah. That that is one thing a manipulator might do is to 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 make a person feel stupid or sad or bad or whatever, so that they'll do their will. And and that's certainly you know a, a a manipulative way. And if you feel as though someone's doing that to you, and you feel you have any of those feelings, there's a chance you might be manipulated if that person's trying to get you to do a certain thing. A lot of times, though, it's 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 not malevolent. It's just it's just the it's just that people don't think and so uh, one of the examples i brought up in the book was someone someone's uh is a, you're at a dinner party and somebody makes a statement of fact that's wrong okay it's just wrong now uh, you know and when i say wrong i mean it's just incorrect but nobody gets hurt by it nothing happens now do you say no no it was really so and so well, you know, it, it depends. I mean, you could if you're around a bunch of friends who all know each other and, that, and nobody's feelings would be hurt, but if you're at a formal type of setting and you don't know this person well and, and you can tell that they are very proud of this fact, no, you probably just don't say anything because it doesn't serve anyone to embarrass that person or shame that person. If it's important enough, then you might have to say something to the person later, but even then you can do it in a kind and, and diplomatic way.
2: And then you say people should not be—they should be a judge and not a lawyer. How does that help them in their interactions?
3: Well, we, you know, we think of a lawyer as being someone who is going to defend a certain position uh, by all means available, as long as it's you know legal and ethical. Of course, it is a, a lawyer's job to defend a particular side—the side they represent—and they're supposed to do that uh, zealously. Uh, Uh, But when we're in in a discussion with someone or in a debate or we're trying to work something out, what we don't want to do is be a lawyer. What we want to do, or we might want to be, but the most effective way is to not be a lawyer and just defend your position, but to be an impartial judge. And try to look at that other person's side, look at their point of view, and consider it as a judge would not as an opposing lawyer who's just looking to shoot holes in it. And when you do that, what you'll actually do is uh, not only will you be a lot more aware, but you'll bring down that other person's defensiveness. They'll see that you're not just trying to win in order to defeat them, but that you're looking for the truth, and your opinions will actually hold a lot more water uh, with that person.
2: And you say coming out of that, what you're trying for is a principle of agreement between the two sides. So how can that work?
3: well the principle of agreement as i discuss in the book is is when somebody says someone you're you know you're needing to attain satisfaction in a situation where this person's not readily giving so is when they make a statement of fact rather than trying to argue with them which is not going to to work you need to find a place of agreement uh and there's usually one place of agreement from which you begin and when you say to that person yes you're right or i agree that so-and-so, so-and-so, what you're doing is, again, you're lowering their defenses. They're waiting for you to do what most people would do, and that is argue with them, challenge them, try to prove them wrong. But when you agree with them, they have nowhere to go. Uh, in other words, the principle of agreement says nobody's going to argue with themselves. When you tell them they're right, they're not going to say, oh, no, no, you're wrong. I was wrong.
2: <laughs> so what you do is you
3: start with agreement, but then from there, now you transition into what it is you're looking to accomplish.
2: All right. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this, this hour is Bob Berg, uh, author of several books. His latest book is called Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. His website is berg.com, B-U-R-G.com, all kinds of material there. And we'll be back after this.
4: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment,
3: people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you
4: have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and
3: forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
4: Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bob Berg. He's written a lot of different books. His latest book is called Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. He has a website, berg.com, dot gcom and there's all kinds of material about this book and other areas as well. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you. It's always great to be with you. So we're talking about five different principles to help you uh, make adversaries into allies. And the next one is to set the proper frame um, to do this correctly. And you're within 80 percent of you you will win basically 80 percent of the time, uh, get the outcome you desire. So explain what that means by setting the proper frame. Well,
3: what is a frame, really? Uh, a frame is the uh, foundation from which everything else evolves and, and, and takes place. A, a quick example I talk about in the book is I was at a, a Dunkin' Donuts store, and um There was a little boy, probably about two years old, maybe a little bit older, who was walking around the restaurant, and he started to walk toward his parents. And as he did, um, he he fell. Uh, He took a spill uh, on the floor. And you could tell he didn't really get hurt, but you could also tell that he he intuitively understood that was not supposed to happen. And so he immediately looked at his mom and dad for their interpretation of the event. The event was what it was, but he was looking for their interpretation of it. Now, I, I really believe... Uh, that had the parents kind of panicked and and you know started in with, "Oh no, are you all right? Oh, you must be sore. Uh, he probably would have started crying, but the parents handled it beautifully, they sort of clapped and they laughed and they said oh that 's so good, what a good trick and you know they had a smile on their face, and so he started laughing and giggling and having a great time. So what his parents did is they set a productive frame for him to operate out of now it's it 's pretty easy to set a frame. I mean, it's, it's when you meet someone and you have a genuine smile on your face or you say good morning or uh, you, your body language shows that you're, uh, you know, a win-win person and you're looking for good things. That That's fine. Um, it, we definitely need to stay aware of doing that, but, but that, that's pretty simple. The big uh, area is resetting another person's frame. When they come into it not looking for a win-win or, or being in a bad mood or, or what have you. And again, usually acting out of an, out of, uh, an unconscious belief system, ego might be involved and and so forth. But I, I think of a story that I, I told in the book early that, uh, at the time, I was pulling into a parking space and wasn't paying attention as I should have, and I I nearly clipped a guy as he was getting out of the driver's side of his car, and he was startled. You know, and and you know, who could blame him? But he gave me a very, very angry, hostile look. I mean, he had not; he just reacted very emotionally, and uh, it was one of those. If looks could kill, I'd have been a dead man. <laughs> and had I, you know, that was the frame he set, unconsciously, of course. But the frame was one of anger. Now, had I had I reacted to that and bought into that frame I might have given him a look back what are you looking at and he just said watch where you're going and as we know those never turn out real real well but instead what I did is I responded and I reset the frame I simply uh, put an apologetic smile on my face I held up my hand to say uh, to wave you know a wave and through the, the windshield I mouthed the words sorry and immediately he came back with no problem (laughs) <laughs> you know? yeah.
2: and that was uh, it and you didn't escalate it really is what you're saying yeah. Huh? you didn't escalate it
3: yeah well, I totally reframed it I took it from being uh, I took us from being adversaries into being allies exactly
2: yeah you talk about positive expectation working but not why you think it works why does positive expectation work
3: well, sometimes, and again, this has to do with, with setting the frame. You know, sometimes we think it's magic. You know, if you just, just expect good things, you know, you, you go in to talk to a, diff- a person who's supposed to be a difficult person and you, and you, you put on your game face and you expect it, him to be difficult or her to be difficult. And so what do you do? You operate out of that frame and you find they are difficult. On the other hand, you, you go in with an attitude of positive expectation that they're going to be a nice person, they're going to be helpful, and they seem to be that way. Well, why? Is it magic? No, of course not. What what happens is, is, is when you, you work out of positive expectation, you don't uh, directly change the other person, you change yourself. And that's what changes the other person. See, when you go in there with positive expectation, you're friendly, you're polite, you have an attitude of gratitude for how pleasant they are, well, they're going to pick up on those signals, they're going to pick up on those vibes, so to speak, and they're most likely going to to operate out of the frame that you've set. And that works much, much more often than not.
2: You're saying that smiling is an important part of that, and that you want to frame your influence In your first conversation. So, what would be an example of how somebody going into a difficult situation with a difficult person could frame it so it comes out well?
3: Uh, well you would go in with that expectation and you would find that that person will most likely uh pick up on on your frame i mean that is that is what's what's probably going to happen when we set our influence when we establish our influence in a first conversation we often think well we we need to do that by talking about ourselves and talking about how important we are and what we do and what we what we've accomplished but that's typically the opposite of being influential uh what the, the what what influencers really do is they focus on the other person And they they allow the other person to do most of the talking, and they ask questions that elicit very positive, feel-good feelings in that person. They'll probably ask that person, how did you get started doing so-and-so, whatever they do for a living? What do you enjoy most about it? Which, again, just inspires a a feel-good feeling. And when people feel good about themselves and they associate that feeling with you they're much more likely to to uh to be amenable to what it is you're looking to accomplish. Um, yeah, another great question to ask someone is how can I know if someone I'm speaking with uh would be a good prospect for you or how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is someone who would who you'd like to meet. So in other words, when we focus on making that other person's life better, that's the most we we become influential to that degree.
2: Because they want, they want that, that's right. Sure. Now, you, you talk about the Ransberger pivot, uh, after you've set the frame appropriately, as you just talked about, how can you kind of take that and move it to, to action?
3: Well, the Ransberger pivot is something utilized in, in a political discussion. You've got so many people who are on uh, opposite ends of the spectrum that, that really kind of, uh, uh almost don't acknowledge the humanity and good intent on the other side. And what I find is whether someone's uh you know, on the left or the right, whether a Republican or Democrat or what have you, they typically all want good results. They you know, everyone would pretty much everyone would like to live in a country in which you know, people are prosperous and, and uh, live, you know, good, long lives and are able to do so forth and so on. What happens is, you know, when you see these political debates, uh, whether it's in person, whether it's on the Internet or, or, you know, in Facebook, and you've got all this vitriol going back and forth, it's because each side is, is sort of not acknowledging the humanity and good intent of, the, of the, the other side. So you hear, you see people say, oh, people like you, you're ruining this country. Don't you realize how stupid that is and blah, 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 blah. And you think about it. You know, someone's, someone's political beliefs are very much like their religious beliefs. There's a real ego identification with it. And I can't think of the last time that I've seen a, an argument where somebody accused this person of being some moronic idiot for their political beliefs. And the person responded by saying, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way. You're right. I'm now going to renounce my political position and, and take on yours instead. It so doesn't how happen it, that it, way. It,
2: you know, so here we've just gone through the situation where we closed the government down. Uh, incredible gridlock in Washington. and We almost default to the national debt where everybody's accusing each other. Let, let's put Bob Berg in the, uh, the speaker's chair here. How would you have gotten around that situation so we don't have such uh, enmity and uh, gridlock?
3: Well, first, the people involved have to want there to be uh, uh, a situation where it's it's workable, and I'm not sure it is right now, because I, I think you've got both sides who are not really representing, and I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans, they're, they're not really representing the populace, they're kind of representing themselves. And they're representing the special interests that support them, and I'm talking about each side of the aisle. So mm-hmm. I think that the the populace has got to really come to grips with the fact that the the servants have become the served, <laughs> and and we need to once again make the uh, you know make the uh, make Congress our employees as opposed to our bosses. And so, you know, I, I can take any of them personally and, and help them to get along with each other better. That's, that's not an issue. The question is, do they want to get along better, or do they actually meet their own goals by, uh, by keeping it in, in gridlock?
2: And that's what you're saying is happening, is they're meeting their own goals by keeping it. They, they profit more from gridlock than having actual progress being made. I, I think there's, there's a truth to that. Yeah, you also talk about winning by making the other's case first. So this is kind of taking their point of view. Explain how that would work.
3: Yeah, it, it's something Abe Lincoln used to do when he was uh, when he was a lawyer uh, on the Illinois, the Cook County Circuit. And what he would do is he'd begin his opening argument by actually summarizing the other side's case first, and actually pointing out the positive aspects of their case. And then, of course, when it came when he summed up his, his client's case, he really you know it on thick, but. By this time he had already, uh, impressed the judge in jury with his honesty and with his caring, uh, and his seeking of the truth rather than just, you know, taking a a position. And so it's the same when you, when you have a, a situation or a, a, a debate, if you will, with another person. If you, can, if you can temporarily take their side, if you can communicate their side of the issue and let them know where you feel they have good points, even if it's only that they have a right to their opinion and that they have good intent, this is sort of where the Ransberger pivot comes in back into politics, where you can say, you know, like you, you know i want to live in a country where people are and then you basically say the same thing as what you know the results they want and then you would say to that person i think the 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 point of disagreement isn't how we would get there and now what you've done is you've taken the relationship from being adversarial to one of being allies who are just looking for a way to get to the to the right decision
2: you also say you should not fall victim to what you call the either or what does that mean in this context
3: Well, sometimes people will frame when they're looking to uh, manipulate you into doing something and again it may when i say it too it, it may not be that they're trying that they're doing that they're wanting to harm you but they uh, w- are wanting to control the situation and, and have you do a certain thing and so they give you a choice of, of of two things where there are really more choices and if we work within a frame of only two choices then we're going to make it and either one works against us then it doesn't matter that we had a choice it's still not a good decision um you know, let's say someone wants to make an appointment with you, uh, and and again, this is this is not a, a malevolent a malevolent thing in any way. It's just an example. But there's a you know there's a technique in sales called the alternative choice. When you want to set an exa- a, a an appointment with someone, you wouldn't say, "Would you like to meet with me?" Because then they they might say yes or no. But you would say, uh, "Would two o'clock be better, or would four o'clock be more convenient?" So as far as that prospect hears, there's two choices. One of them is not a no. It's It's just two yeses. And when asked respectfully and and with good intent, there's nothing wrong with that. However, it's also important that this prospect knows those aren't the only two choices. It's 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, or not at all. And so yes. what I'm saying what what I'm saying is you don't want to be you don't want to have a frame set for you by someone else that's not working for you. So when you find that there are times when you're given a choice of two things, neither of them work for you, don't just reactively go into taking the the, the least of the you know of the, uh, the the lesser of two evils. Instead, you might want to say to yourself, hmm, Why are there only two choices? Could there be other choices that I'm not thinking of that this person hasn't offered me? Why are they limiting it to two choices? Is there a reason they would want me to? You know what I'm saying? So yes. as long as we're thinking and acting consciously, the, the chances are are much less that we're going to fall victim to someone else setting our frame.
2: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bob Berg. Uh, His new book is called Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. Again, his website is berg.com, B-U-R-G.com. And we'll be back after this.
1: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Bob Berg, is an author of Adversaries into Allies: Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. His website is berg.com, B U R G.com. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you, Jordan. So we've been going through the five principles, and your fifth principle uh, to gain influence is to communicate with tact and empathy, uh, the big difference that makes the big difference. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about how to do that.
3: Well, in one of my favorite books written probably 60 or 70 years ago, How to Have Confidence and Power in Dealing with People, the author Les Giblin made a great point, I thought. He said, what counts is attaining satisfaction without trampling upon the egos of those we deal with, which is interesting how, that, how tact brings it back to ego. Because we understand the other person's ego is very sensitive, and if we say something in a way that offends the ego and causes an emotional reaction in this person, they may really not be open to what we desire, and in fact, will be just the opposite. So tact is, is very important. My, my dad has always defined tact as the language of strength. And I, I believe that's so true. To me, tact is simply a, a way of being able to correct someone, critique someone, uh, dare I be a bit politically incorrect and say constructively criticize someone. I know we're not supposed to say that, but you know what? We're talking about the real world, and sometimes we just need to be able to teach others, whether it's that a person uh, overpaid on a negotiable product, or they, they gave the customer some incorrect information, or they're being disrespectful to someone either at work or at home or what have you. There's times we have to be able to make our point, uh, but in such a way that the person not only is not going to be defensive, about it and resistant toward us, but they'll be open and they'll be much more likely to to accept what we say and to act on it in a positive way.
2: You have some specific what you call lead-in phrases that pave the way for this. Maybe just give us some examples of some of the lead-in phrases that might help. Well,
3: lead-in phrases are a way of making your point uh but but doing it so it sort of softens the blow a little bit and makes it more palatable, makes it more acceptable to that person you may want to correct them on something. And and again, this depends on the situation, so it's it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all. Uh but it might be to say, uh, you know, just for my own clarification or it might be, you know, Dave, you know more about this than I do. What would you say to or you know, I, uh, your your intent in doing it this way was just terrific. I'm thinking the you know the the more effective way would be to so what we do is we lead in with a phrase that softens the blow and says to this person, you know, I, I care enough about you and how I'm communicating to frame this in a way that uh, you know that is is more acceptable.
2: You say also that the people should have kind words about their competitors, which is something that's pretty rare these days, the kind of very competitive environment. How can that work for people?
3: Well, you know, most people have been taught correctly that to not say anything negative about your competitor because that's only going to make you look bad. But I'd take it a step further. I would say to, to be kind in what you say about your competitors because when, you're, when you speak well of your competition, what it says to your prospect is, wow, this person's confident, this person's successful, because confident and successful people, you know, don't have to down-talk the competition. They're too busy. there. They live on a creative plane rather than uh, a competitive plane. It also says to your prospect that you are safe. Because if you're not speaking ill of your competition, the chances are you're never going to speak ill of them. So when you speak well of your competition, uh, you know, it, it, uh, what you're really doing is you're speaking well of yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. It's kind of a subtle way of doing it, yes. And then you should say, uh, in a tactful way, is to give people a back door. What do you mean by that?
3: Uh, yeah, an out or a back door. People want to feel that they're in control of their choices. And, uh, you know, any animal, whether a human one or a, a four-legged one, if you put them in a corner, what are they going to do? They're going to fight. They're going to do anything they can to escape. And so, you know, we, we, we don't want to make people feel as though they're boxed in and must agree out of a sense of compliance. It's not that that never works. It can. But what's going to happen is you're not going to have a happy customer. You're not going to have a happy friend or, or, or spouse or what have you. Um, and be, because people want to feel it's, it's their choice. So when you, when you provide an out or a backdoor, it's like calling somebody and rather than try to force them into a conversation saying to that person, you know, do you have a, a quick minute or have I caught you at a lousy time? Now, you might think, well, isn't that just opening the door for them to say, yeah, you caught me at a lousy time? Well, if they don't want to speak to you, they're not going to speak to you anyway, or they're not going to buy from you anyway. But when you, when you give them that out, they're much more likely to actually take some time because they know you're respectful of their time. Or if they really truly don't have a, qu- a few quick minutes, they're going to be much more likely to set an appointment with you. Because, again, you gave them an out. You gave them a back door. My, you know, what I call Berg's Law of the Out or Back Door simply says the bigger the outer back door you t- you give someone, uh, you give someone the less they'll feel the need to take it. It's like when you meet someone who you know, you, you meet someone, and uh, you know, three weeks later you go up to that person and you haven't seen them in three weeks. Who knows if this person knows your name or not? So what you do is you go up to them and when you shake hands you say, "Hi, Bob Berg. We met a few weeks ago at the so and so." Now, if this person remembered, great. If they don't remember, though, you're giving them an out. They'll probably say, "Oh, sure, Bob. Of course, I remember your name."
2: Yeah, uh, you it makes I it think? easier for them. The little yes. things we can do. You, you go back into history, and you talk about the Ben Franklin way of winning people over. What is the Ben Franklin way of winning people over?
3: Well, of course, Ben was a, a master at, at at positive persuasion and people skills, and he worked on himself hard because when he first started out, he had some very annoying traits that he realized was going to harm him along his career path. And, and so he became a master at people skills. And one of the things he did is rather than trying to do a favor for someone in order to... to uh, to win, win over a, an adversary into an ally, what he would do is he would ask them for a favor. And when they did that, they, I'm thinking of one example where it was someone who was a political adversary, and he knew that person took great pride in their collection of books. And so Ben asked to borrow one of the books. And the person, you know, lent him the book and, and Ben enjoyed it and wrote a nice note of thanks back. And the two of them became friends after that. Well, what happens is when someone does something nice for you, and Dr. Robert Cialdini talks about this in his excellent book, Influence, uh, subtitled Science and Practice, it's that law of consistency. If they're doing something nice for you, it must be because they like you. And so they, action actually precedes feeling. Mm-hmm. so that 's just you know that 's just one way, but it, it it turned really an adversary of Franklin's into someone who who became a lifelong ally and advocate
2: in about a minute or so we have left uh, there 's a lot more to the book. Kind of give a sense overall of what a difference it'll make in people 's life if they do have influence based on all the things we 've been talking about
3: well it 's such an easier way to live life when you feel when you, the people are on your side and when they seem to be predisposed to be on your side and you'll be that person that people say wow you know he the, he or she just has that way with people that knack well it's usually far less of a knack than it is a set of learned skills So I tell stories in the book, and just stories that people, again, can see themselves having lived through and will live through. So really, when you come away from this book and and assuming that you apply the principles that that I teach throughout it, your your life is going to be a lot more fun. It's going to be less stressful because, again, you're not going to feel like you're in a fight every day of your life. And it's going to be a lot more profitable, both personally and uh, financially.
2: Terrific. Thanks so much. Well, my guest this hour has been Bob Berg. His book is called Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. Uh, you can find out more about it at his website, which is berg.com, B-U-R-G.com. And thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Bob. Jordan, thanks so much again for having me. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.